Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff for Donald Trump, uh, saying that uh, Donald Trump tested positive before. Uh, of uh, COVID-19 before the debate there. The Supreme Court where today the nine justices heard the most direct challenge to abortion rights in America in decades. The outcome could fundamentally change the rights that women have to their own bodies. The deadly school shooting in Michigan at Oxford High School, that's about an hour north of Detroit. Three students killed, at least eight others injured, including a teacher. An alleged lone gunman, a 15-year-old student, is in custody at this hour. Police say he was armed with a semi-automatic handgun. Yes, hello one, hello all, and welcome to the Politics Mostly podcast. I am your host, Peter Ramirez. Once again, I am sick. Uh, Two years into this shit, believe it or not, it's been two years since I started this podcast, um... If you, the listener, have noticed that I generally get, um, I often do this podcast sick, I don't think it's a coincidence. (laughs) I think it's because um, when I'm sick, I'm not working, and when I'm not working, I have more time to, you know, write an episode and to collect my thoughts and to edit a podcast. You know, a lot of shit goes, a lot of work goes into this shit. Um, So yeah, there's going to be times this episode where I start like coughing and shit. I'm not going back and editing it. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to use a cough button. I don't even think I have a cough button. I'm going to be coughing into your ear, and you're going to take it because it's a free podcast, and I'm doing this shit for you, okay? (laughs) Oh, gosh, hold on. (coughs) Okay, now some personal news off the top of the show. I've been talking now for a while about the numbers this podcast does. Um, I continue to be amazed by them. Um, I don't want to get into specifics, but even when I'm not putting out podcasts, uh, people are going back and downloading episodes from like two years ago about random shit. I don't know what's going on. I love it. Um, I'm about to have a soft spot in my schedule in January and February. And I am going to, I don't want to commit to it, but I'm definitely thinking about converting a part of my basement into a podcast studio. Um, why? Because I think it'd be cool. I'm going to have some time, and I think it would lead to a better product. So thank you, the listener, for allowing this to happen. Um, I'm very pumped about it. I think it would definitely open the opportunity for more interviews, for more consistent podcasting. Um, it's going to be. It's going to take some money for me to uh, get some, like, you know, soundproof stuff, lighting. Eventually, you know, with the studio, I'm also going to want to move into a, a, um, a video uh, element to it, a visual element to it too. Maybe throw some stuff on YouTube in case you're ever. People are like, "What do you look like?" Look at the podcast artwork. That's what I look like. That's a cartoon version of me. It's not some random guy I googled. <laughs> okay, let's get right into the first story today. Trump debated Biden after testing positive for COVID. Okay, a few things. So, according to Mark Meadows, um, not exactly a left-wing nut job. Uh, the former chief of staff. Uh, you know, look at the advertising for this book, by the way, that Mark Meadows just put out and where he makes this claim. The whole thing is like begging for the magosphere to buy it and how tr- like quotes from Trump on the front page of the cover about how good Mark Meadows is. <laughs> like this is not some, oh, the liberal media bias. No, like this is someone in Trump's circle saying he tested positive for COVID before debating Biden back in September of 2020. Um, He tested positive, according to Mark Meadows, on September 26th, three days before the debate. 
Now, Meadows also says Trump tested negative right before the debate with a rapid antigen test. Oh, and also Trump was symptomatic. Uh, And timeline-wise, this was about a week before he got flown from his home hospital to a military hospital and was having a hard time breathing. Okay, so that was a lot of info. Let's let's process this very quickly. Uh, Trump tests positive on a swab test, which is very accurate. He then takes an experimental antigen test, which is not accurate, and he's symptomatic. And then, less than a week later, he gets hospitalized with COVID, in which he required supplemental oxygen. Um, and it's important to note, by the way, this occurred September 2020. This is something the media isn't talking about. Meaning the vaccine isn't out. Meaning Trump isn't vaccinated yet. Biden isn't vaccinated yet. Okay? Now, what I'm going to say is going to sound very extreme. Okay, I've been doing this podcast for two years. I like to think I don't have particularly hot takes. Um, Interesting takes, but nothing I say to like try to go viral. Um, Two years of a proven track record of, I think, being pretty sane in my twisted mind, granted. (laughs) Um, But I I think I've earned the benefit of the doubt now with all these episodes I've done where I can go ahead and say something a little out there and just because I feel like it and because I believe in it, obviously. And a surprising number of you who listen are Republican, uh, or lean that way, Uh, so we're going to disagree here, and that's okay. Uh, But thank you for listening. (laughs) If Trump gave Biden COVID, he should have been arrested. He should have been arrested. I'm dead serious. Okay? You can't say, for example... You can't say Trump didn't know because he got tested and it was positive. You can't say it wasn't severe COVID because it required Trump to go to the hospital a few days later. (coughs) You can't say, well, Biden was vaccinated because he wasn't yet, and neither was Trump yet. Trump could have rescheduled the debate or canceled it, but he was down in the polls and said, fuck it. I'll risk giving this disease to a 79 or whatever year old man, unvaccinated 79 or whatever year old man, a few, a few feet from me in this indoor space. That was his thought process. You're going to tell me jaywalking is illegal, but this isn't? Outrageous, absolutely outrageous, could have killed the future president. This may shock my loyal listeners, but I'm not really a fan of this Trump guy. Shit, I am coughing like an MFer. And I'm doing my best to pause the podcast, go in a coughing spell, and come back, but man, this shit hurts. Okay, let's talk about abortion for a second. Because I don't talk about abortion a lot on this podcast because, like I always tell you guys, I care about like four issues. And, um, you know, I have opinions on abortion, but we all have different levels of interest for different topics. And perhaps it's my male privilege, but I I don't rank abortion as one of my most pressing concerns as a voter. It's a concern, and I'm about to go into it, Um, but it's not, you know, it's not what motivates me to do something like this political podcast. So abortion, you know, the thing that Republicans dislike until it's time for them to get one. (laughs) Go, Go Google list of Republican lawmakers who have paid for abortions despite them being against Roe v. Wade. Uh, it's a very long list. <laughs> it's a very long list. Also, it's very hard for me to laugh because when I laugh, it activates my cough. So, hence why there haven't been many great jokes this podcast. 
Um, does anyone remember Scott Lloyd, Trump's director of refugee resettlement? Uh, the fact Trump even had someone manning this post is mildly surprising to me. I fully expected, like, someone walking into this office during the Trump years and it's like a bucket of KFC behind the desk. <laughs> and later, um, the head of something called the Center of Faith and Opportunity Initiative. Uh, I'm assuming, of course, the faith in question here is if you're a Christian, an opportunity uh, loosely defined as tax cuts and deregulation. Um, okay, Scott Lloyd. Uh, he came into national prominence over refusing to allow refugees to seek abortion services if they wanted them. And then, what do you know, it was revealed that Mr. Faith and Opportunity not only had a mistress, but drove her across state lines and paid for her abortion with their love child. Right. Uh, so, if you want a lot of examples like this, knock yourself out. Google is a free service. Now, this is not about Republican hypocrisy because I'm trying to keep this under 30 minutes, okay? Um... Republican hypocrisy is far too unoriginal for a podcast of this stature. I want to talk about the Supreme Court hearing this Mississippi abortion ban. Um, 1973, Roe v. Wade, the court rules that the constitutional right to privacy extends to a woman in her choice to terminate a pregnancy. For almost 50 years, the court has heard challenges. The challenges have failed. Notably, in 1992, the Casey decision reaffirmed Roe, okay? So we have 1973, January of 73, <coughs> we get the Roe decision, we get decades of challenges, the court with new members, here a direct attack on Roe, and you know, 20 years later in Casey, they go, no, we're going to reaffirm Casey. So let's look at now it looks like the court's ready to overturn Roe. And I don't want to meander here, because you can just start talking about, like, abortion and weird hypotheticals. I thought about everything going on with this case. I listened to the oral arguments the other day, and I wrote down, like, four or five takeaways of everything that's going on right now. So I'm going to try to keep this as ordered as possible. It's, it'll get a little ranty, but that's why I have a podcast. Um, the first thing, uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Occupying the stolen seat of RBG, said that abortion isn't necessary because of the adoption laws of this country. Pretty much most, if not all, states have laws where mother can give up her child at birth. No questions asked. The child will become a ward of the state unless the state can find adoptive parents. So much for a conservative jurisprudence, by the way. <laughs> uh, if I had my eyes closed and heard that, I would imagine opening my eyes to seeing a political analyst on Newsmax with a political talking point like that. So much for just looking at the laws and interpreting the laws. Amy Coney Barrett. Brilliant. But the bigger issue, of course, is that this thinking is ridiculous. Abortions aren't needed anymore because you can drop your baby off at the fire station? That still robs the woman of the personal autonomy to terminate her pregnancy. The state is now forcing women to bring the fetus to term. Nine months of pregnancy is a very demanding thing. There are risks. There are costs. There are all sorts of things. Here's how I look at abortion personally. Either way, pro-life or pro-choice, a decision will be made. Either the state makes that decision for you, 
the government, or the woman makes her own decision. Who should make the decision? One last thing about Barrett, by the way, before I move on, who really is just a right-wing troll at this point, and there really aren't left-wing trolls on the court. I mean that honestly. There just aren't. Maybe if you're conservative, you don't agree with them, but look at the oral arguments, read the decisions. They're not taking personal shots or saying crazy things. They're like, this is how I see the case and so on. That's how the liberal justices work. But I swear, it's like these right-wing judges are constantly fighting off a primary challenge from the right, which is crazy because they're given lifetime appointments to avoid that very uh, problem. So Amy Coney Barrett, in a case about abortion, throws in this line. She mentions, quote, violations of personal bodily autonomy in regards, in regards to vaccine mandates. Vaccine talk in the middle of perhaps the most consequential decision about abortion ever. Beyond having nothing to do with the case at hand, what, she, what she's doing is signaling to these right-wing groups to start challenging vaccine laws because, hey, I'm on your side and we can overturn some of this shit together. Just an awful troll. That's all she is. Number two, Kavanaugh. I guess Kavanaugh wasn't doing beers with Squee last night because he came out sharp. Good job, Brett. Now, he's just as awful as Barrett because he wants to overturn Row 2, but he phrased it differently. His major point was that the court has, has, <clears throat> has had some bad decisions made in the past. Dred Scott, Plessy vs. Ferguson, the Korematsu case, which for some reason isn't taught in schools, for reasons beyond my comprehension. And there are times when the court needs to correct past mistakes. The problem here is that you can't compare Roe, which gives women the control of their own bodies, to the decision that African Americans cannot be citizens, or the decision of separate but equal that gave way to Jim Crow, or the decision that Japanese Americans can be detained indefinitely without committing a crime. I believe smart people call this moral equivalency, and in this case, there is none. Also, Roe wasn't some one-off decision made by an obscure court. It was a landmark decision that was reaffirmed decades later, and now, almost 50 years into it, has still stood the test of time amid dozens, if not hundreds, of challenges. If the court hears dozens of challenges to a double precedent, maintains the rule of law, and then reverses course because the members of the court change, then the court is just a partisan institution. That is all it is. Sorry, Justice Roberts, you're wrong. Roe has been the law of the land for almost half a century. Before Roe, 17% of, mother, of motherhood fatalities during pregnancy or childbirth occur, occurred in women seeking illegal abortions. Today, the rate of hospitalization for a woman having a first trimester abortion is 0.05%. Safe, legal abortion saves women's lives. Number three. Be careful what you wish for, conservatives. Be careful. I anticipated a Democratic loss at the polls a year from now, as is common with most midterm results. But Republicans could be handing Democrats an electoral victory here on a silver platter. The GOP is already leaking support in the suburbs. A November poll from Quinnipiac, one of uh, the most accurate pollsters of the last decade, by the way, 
a plus 35 majority supports Roe. Not 35%, plus 35, as in 63 to 28. If you can do the math, you can see that plus 35% support Roe. Look at the numbers for Republicans. 37% of Republicans agree with Roe. And a plus 41% of independents support Roe. Not 41%, plus 41%. Nearly all Democrats support Roe. About three, three quarters of independents support Roe, and almost half of Republicans support Roe. Careful what you wish for, Republicans. It is hard to motivate the party in power to show up at the polls in the midterms. But if the GOP wants to fuck with women, it could be a different story. That's all, I'm going to be, that's all I'm going to say here. Be careful what you wish for, and be careful when you mess with women. In my 27 years of life, I've learned that lesson. <laughs> Four, lastly, well, not lastly, I have a couple more ideas here about abortion, uh, because I don't hit it much. The strongest argument against overturning Roe, I heard, actually came from a pro-life opinion guy I read, Ross Douthat. Not just a conservative, a religious conservative. It's like we play a game called what type of writer would I disagree most with? Let's come up with religious conservative. <laughs> He's a pro-life guy and he wants Roe overturned, but he was asked recently on a podcast I listened to, what is the strongest argument against overturning Roe? And he said the potential of no Roe leading to a police state. Police state. Oh, my, my Republican listeners, they, their ears just twitched up. A police state. Right? Isn't this what Republicans fear most? Libertarians? Isn't this what you fear most? A police state? Think about it. Think about the pro-life movement for a second. How do they view themselves? I'm sure you're either pro-life or you know someone who is. How do they see themselves? Think about the great movements in U.S. political history. The abolition movement. The women's revolution. The anti-war movement with Vietnam, the civil rights movement. Pro-life people legitimately view themselves as part of this collection. That they are on a noble, moral, and often, frankly, religious fight. But how do we think about the effects of overturning Roe? Not just that sweet victory the pro-life movement may soon get, but what about day two? What about month two? Year two? Douthit, not a liberal, not pro-choice, says, look, abortion would be illegal in 30 states. That means women who get illegal abortions are going to go to jail. Doctors who even advise abortion, let alone perform it, they could go to jail. Depending on how strict the state laws are, you could also have a situation where Plan B is illegal. And women who want, who want it get it in the mail. So now you have the state, a.k.a. the government, Maybe opening pregnant women's mail to make sure Plan B isn't in there. And this is not what I'm saying. This is what a pro-life conservative is saying, Ross Douthat. Douthat also says, look, there may be cases where a suspicious miscarriage will be investigated by the state. The state is going to make sure it was a miscarriage. They'll open your medical records. They'll talk to your doctor. They'll subpoena your friends. This may sound like a dystopian horror novel, but this is probably going to be America in about a year or less at this rate. Don't think about just Roe. Think about the outcomes. Worst case scenario for my fellow liberals, by the way, is that abortion becomes a state issue, 
where blue states safeguarded and women with means can travel to get their abortions in New York or California or wherever. So the pro-life movement thinking this will end abortions is a little comical to me. Instead, you're going to make it more difficult for women to get abortions. They'll get them anyway. And drip, 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 trickle, trickle, trickle. You'll get these stories, these tragedies. Uh, a woman in Kentucky sentenced to 25 years for a first trimester abortion. A woman in Kansas gets 15 years for mailing in Plan B from out of the state. Woman gets a death penalty for late-term abortion in Texas. Is this the country you want to live in? It's not the country I want to live in, that's for sure. So be careful, Republicans. Be careful. Because you're giving Democrats a winning issue. You're not, you're not going to outlaw abortion, especially in blue states. And abortion will be widely accessible to people who can just travel from state to state. And in the meantime, you're going to get headache after headache of these stories of women going to jail because they don't want to bring their pregnancy to term. And a couple of like, straggling issues, because like I said, I don't talk about abortion a lot. If pro-life people want to change the law on abortion, then pass federal laws. Don't pack the court and then jam this through. We all remember that term the Supreme Court ruled with an eight-person court because McConnell wouldn't give uh, Obama, Obama's appointee, a hearing because it was too close to an election. And then when Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, when, election, when early voting has already started in an election, they jam Amy Coney Barrett through in record time. Also, last thing about abortion, because I know this is a tough topic and, you know, uh, we don't have to talk about this forever. I don't understand why the GOP gets away with being labeled pro-life. I really don't. Think about where they stand on issues. They're pro-war, Republicans. Historically, anyway, they're pro-war. Why did we go to Iraq? Why did we go to Afghanistan? Why do we go to Vietnam, Korea, every war, every war, they're the ones. And the ones, and they're always calling for war when we're not at war. Who wants war with Iran? Who wants war with North Korea? It's a lot of Republicans. Not so pro-life there, are you? They're anti-welfare. How is that pro-life? We're going to gut food stamps. We're going to gut Medicaid. We're going to gut after-school programs. We're going to cut... Uh, free lunches for kids with low incomes in schools. And also, you're going to call us pro-life. And they're pro-guns. Speaking of my last topic, how's that going for you? Pro-guns. You're so pro-life, you support guns, which by their very nature are meant to kill people. So don't lecture me on being pro-life. I will always roll the dice with women. And if, they, if the other side wants to wage war against women, so be it. But like I said, be careful what you wish for. Last topic here. Um, I don't really have anything written down here. I normally have bullet points and then kind of rant off it. But I'm just going to speak from the heart and speak about I try not, not to even talk about a lot of issues with you guys, like, here's where I stand, this is what's happening. I kind of like to tell you how I think about politics from a macro level, and I kind of have a lot of, like, theories about shit, you know. And one of my theories about politics is you have to bend. 
And if you don't bend, you're going to break. Okay? I have seen in my lifetime, and I'm not a particularly old person. I'm in my 20s. A radical transformation on guns. This, of course, comes in the backdrop of um, the tragic school shooting in Michigan. I saw a TikTok video. It was heartbreaking of... Uh, the gunman trying to get into a locked classroom pretending to be a security guard and the teacher astutely not letting him in. And then when the students realized it was the gunman, they opened a window and fled out the back of the classroom. It was, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. And I'm so disgusted as an American citizen that we don't take action to stop this stuff. Because ultimately, what is America? It's about trying things, shooting for, you know, the stars, being, you know, taking risks, uh, problem solving. And to me, when politicians and frankly, people even just throw up their hands and go, well, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, it, it upsets me in a very profound way. And... I have seen a big change in the gun movement in my lifetime. I remember being, you know, 18, 16, 18, starting to get, like, politically conscious, right? Like, I was able to vote for Obama in 2012 and and thinking, you know, I'm not a gun person. I'm not a gun person. I did not grow up with guns. My parents don't have guns. I don't have guns. I don't go hunting. I don't know. If, I don't even know if I've ever held a gun, to be honest with you. Um... But I remember being like 18 in my first election being like, well, what do I think about guns? Like, well, we got to keep handguns because the Second Amendment and you can do hunting rifles and but maybe not the AR-15s. And, you know, do I want to limit uh, ammo capacity clips? Is that a slippery slope? I remember thinking about these things when I was 18 because I was probably fucking weirdo. Um, (laughs) And now I think about how I view guns. And because there, for so long, there has been no movement on even common sense gun reform, there are so many radicals in the Democratic Party with guns now, and I'm 100% one of them. Yeah, I wonder how that's going to age. I'm 100% one of them, the radical. <laughs> there goes my shot at public office. Um, you know, I'm totally for, like, just reversing the Second Amendment now. 100%. I mean, how many mass shootings in schools, how many dead kids do we have to see? Before we're like, you know what? We gotta try something different here. We gotta try something different. I don't think more guns save lives. I, I don't believe that. The evidence doesn't support that. I don't believe the only way to stop a bad guy with a guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. How about neither have a gun? How does that work? I, I like how that works. And if bans are so ineffective, then why are Republicans trying to ban abortion right now? I thought bans were so ineffective. To me, it's very simple. Republicans fought every gun safety measure at every level, every time. They did not come and say, okay, we're going to get rid of the stupid stuff. We're going to prevent, you know, if you, if you want an AK-47 and you're on the terrorist watch list, you can't do it. They, st- they, have, they have lobbied and pressured and threatened politicians at every level to not act. And what that has done is it has radicalized the opposition. You know, let's look at 18-year-old me about 10 years ago. What if a politician came out and said, a a, a Democrat, oh, I want to come out and and reverse the Second Amendment? I probably wouldn't have voted for them in a primary. 
I'd been like, oof, that seems kind of radical. Now, I'd send money to that politician if they said that right now. The lack of any action on guns whatsoever in this country has radicalized the other 52, 54%, whatever percent of the country that are that's Democrats, into supporting things which are crazy. This reminds me a lot about the climate movement. All, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it was like, hey, can we stop, you know, using single-use plastic and, like, pumping chemicals into the atmosphere? And they were like, no, fuck you. We're going to do even more coal because you even suggested that. And now, I'm sure if you looked at polling, it was like, hey, do you want to make uh, gasoline cars illegal? I'm sure you could probably find, like, 20% of Americans who would support that. 20 years ago, it was probably 2%. So when one side fights and doesn't allow incremental reform at any level for any reason with bad faith and dark money and lobbying, it really energizes the opposition. Really. That's, that's one of my views on politics. So because Republicans have, have for so long not acted with guns, now I'm in a position where I see another mass shooting, more dead kid bodies where I'm like, you know what? Let's try this thing for a few years with no guns. Let's try it. What if we cut the number of mass shootings in half? Wouldn't it be worth it? In my mind, it would be. And 10 years ago, I would not have thought that. I would not have thought that. I would have fought that. I would have fought against it. Now I embrace it. And it's because the Republicans haven't done anything on guns for so long that now I'm a radical on guns. So just remember that. Just remember that, generally speaking. If you don't bend, you're going to break. And for me, that's how I view the right's obsession with guns and killing and, and dead bodies everywhere with guns, okay? Okay, so uh, that was a pretty heavy episode if you look at the topics. <laughs> we had uh, me saying I thought Trump could have been arrested for what he did to Biden. <laughs> Then the uh, very easy topic of abortion. And then me coming out being like, let's get rid of the guns. I'm tired of seeing these school shootings. Um, so I am going to try to end this uh, podcast with some good news. Uh, Biden announced that at-home COVID testing kits will be free. Gas prices continue to plummet. And unemployment as of today, the taping of this podcast, just hit a new low of 4.2%. So there is good news happening. There is good news happening. You just have to look for it. And one more thing. I just, I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, immigration is down right now. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just a fact. Immigration is down right now and nobody knows why. If you look at actually, people think, you know, immigration waxes and wanes based on the economy it's it's correct but it's in the opposite way if you think the better the economy is the more immigration comes why because when we're in a recession when we're in a depression there aren't as many jobs and mostly immigrants come here to work so if there's less opportunity to work they're less likely to come so actually in really tough economic times we see very low levels of immigration at least relatively you know but right now we have uh what the economists would call a labor shortage what does that mean I mean, it's like for every job seeker, there's like three job openings, right? There's literally so much work available that wages are rising um, and that anyone can be employed if they want to. And yet, for reasons I'm not quite sure of, 
immigration hasn't risen with it. And I saw today that um, beyond immigration levels being, nobody knows why they're this low. Biden just resumed the stay in Mexico policy for asylum seekers, that if you want asylum in America, you have to apply for Mexico. And this way, if you get denied, you can be deported easily. And the problem, and this will be my last point because I'm running along here. So, you know, Trump's big thing was immigration, if you really think about it. A little economic nationalism. He was mostly an anti-immigration guy, legal and illegal. And, you know, if I'm a pro-Trump voter, I'm looking at low levels of immigration right now. I'm seeing Biden adopt some Trump policies on immigration, and I'm feeling good. Because remember, that's how I view politics. I have certain topics, I have certain issues, and I don't care who does it, the blue party or the red party, as long as you push for it, I'll root for you. But what happens with Fox News and with the right is that they'll see Biden and low levels of immigration. Um, Those Biden, uh, remember, was it a few months ago, maybe a year ago at this point, time is so relative, um... Those Biden uh, ICE agents like on horseback, like whipping migrants and stuff. And then they see like what was announced today, which is Trump, uh, Biden adopting the Trump policy of staying in Mexico while applying for asylum. And their first instinct isn't to be happy because isn't that what you wanted this whole time? Their first instinct is to dunk on the media because the media supposedly isn't as hard on Biden as it is on Trump. And when Trump does something anti-immigrant, he gets a lot of flag for it. And when Biden does it, he doesn't get a lot of flag for it. I don't really agree with that because if Biden gets no flag for it, then why am I seeing it everywhere on Twitter, on the New York Times, of, you know, these center-left places, all this, you know, this immigrant group saying Biden is just as bad as Trump. You know, I'm seeing all these quotes. So I think Biden's getting plenty of bad press in the, in the left-wing world. Um, but they're just never happy. The right's never happy. They're never satiated. Right. Because even when policies they like, policies they support, even when they go into effect, they're, it's not, okay, hooray, Biden is more moderate than we thought, or hooray, something I want is happening. It's them whining about the media, whining about bias, whining about coverage. Okay. And that's my last, that wasn't a fully developed thought. It was just something I thought of just now. And I just threw it out there and you let me know if you agree or not. So thanks again. Podcast studio coming soon. I'm going to try to get some uh, some visual, some uh, maybe some YouTube videos out there for you guys starting in about a month or so. Uh, thank you so much for all your support and have a great day. Bye, guys.